0: Yo, Miami. Close your eyes. And I don't care if you feel to realize this is the damn good day show. The damn good day show. I don't care how you feel because I know today you're gonna feel good. So good. Because the way you feel is a choice. Life, happiness yes is your choice it is a way it's the future when you shine a light elevation is felt the question where time plays a dominant role how difficult to end with time is used to time was never made to express what is felt we're rocking we're rolling we're rockin'. all right we'll get it in
1: three <laughs> two one what's up brother great to see you oh good
0: likewise Ian man it's a pleasure to be here
1: we're on the damn good day show you rolled up in absolute
0: style what's this bike called it's called vanmove it's actually a dutch bike it's sort of the uh the apple among the bikes so yeah it's an electric bike but it's very nicely integrated so you know if you don't know the bike you might not know what are some of the
1: features that makes it like a next level bike you said it auto shuts off is it like a biometric control
0: type deal Yeah, exactly. So basically what happens is that um, imagine you park your bike and someone else comes and tries to steal it. It basically, you know, starts to, uh, you know, uh, turn on the alarm and then within a minute, everything shuts off. So basically you can't use the bike anymore. On top of that, it has a GPS tracker. So you can literally figure out where your bike is. It's pretty accurate. And they also have a team. Unfortunately, they're not yet, you know, very active in Miami, but like in New York, LA, obviously in all the European cities, um, you can literally call in a, you know, sort of a, a bike squad yeah. and they will, they will go and chase, uh, <laughs> they have a bike squad. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so a cool, that's a cool y- job. Y- you better not steal the bike. There's,
1: there's security services and then there's the bike squad that just goes after people that take their customers' clients. You're basically joining a straight FBI service. <laughs>
0: like exactly. The other thing I love about the bike is just the turbo boost, you know, so... It's just like with a car. You can surprise some people if they don't know you have it. And so, so you that can thing, accelerate how fast,
1: you think that can rip.
0: Well, it's more about acceleration. I haven't really tried how fast it can go like in terms of uh, from, you know. Right, s- right. Let's say within 5 seconds. Uh, I think actually more or less within 5 seconds you could get up to 25 miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty decent. Yeah, uh, on a bike, right? Yeah, on a bike. <laughs> and bikes are the best. I I'm
1: trying. Sky has a great bike. We've been saying that I need to go get my bike soon. There's a lot of really cool trails in Florida. Like uh, Shark Valley is a really great one in the Everglades. Uh, right. You buy a park pass for fifty dollars a year. You can go there whenever you want, and it's a uh, 15 mile loop. Oh wow! And the first half is more prairie ish, and then the other half is um, just like swamp along the side. And there's just so much so much alligators and birds and wildlife and people go there and just rip it in laps to prepare for you know races
0: and the bike lanes are they broad enough or? yeah
1: they're pr- they're very broad
0: oh yeah. wow yeah I it's a great place there. to
1: bring family to if you're like just trying to go sightseeing highly recommend it but if you rent the bikes there they suck they're just like jammed of up course, yeah.
0: yeah just not not th- the play th- that happened to me in tulum and i was like last month i was in tulum and i was sort of do i get a bike or a scooter I don't really like wear a helmet and that's not because of safety reasons because I know because of safety reasons you should, but it's just mess up your hair. (laughs) 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 So
1: anyways, so
0: I was like, okay, let me get a bike. I couldn't get any bike, man. The bikes were like, first of all, uh, you know, like it wasn't for my height. And then second of all, like the bike wasn't really, you know, moving the way it's supposed to move. So in the end I got a scooter, but I love cycling and I support it, you know, like I, I actually, you know, I'm, very very pro bikes it's so nice because you know like you can detox a little bit you know from the slur of the city your work we're constantly behind computers nowadays Mm -hmm. or phone and so when you're on a bike you you actually see the city in a whole different light you know and then with miami the weather is just amazing if you go around the beach i mean well some of my
1: best times and memories are when i think about right before you got your driver's license 13 14 15 when you and the gang would just roll out and you Know two or three miles away was a truly far from home, right? <laughs> and if you hit for us, it was Mickey D's, and just going there on the bike with your friends, it was just this you, you built this community, it was so much fun,
0: exactly. It's like a sense of liberty, right? Like you feel liberated. And, um, in the Netherlands, where I was born in Amsterdam, I mean, that's the common thing, right? Everybody is on a bicycle, I mean. Anybody that visited visited Amsterdam is like wow. If you go to Central Station and you see the amount of bicycles, I always get a question like, "How do you find your bike back?" You know, because like literally like hundreds of bikes next to each other. Yeah, that's gnarly. I'm
1: very excited that I got to even meet you in the first place. Uh, Big shout out to Augusto. Definitely. So Augusto, uh, Augusto Alverdes, he's the founder of Global Child TV. I met him through Peter Taunton, who I met through the podcast. And just another plug of of why I think everyone should start a podcast, because it leads to great conversations and good people. But we went to a 40th birthday party for Augusto, and there was just these great people. I mean, just someone that really stood out to me was Freddie, um, just such a great guy. He's, he's already done so much for me in the short period of time, and it's just just a, a phenomenal person. And then it was interesting because I didn't get it really a chance to talk to you because you're on the other side of the table. Correct. And then as we were leaving, I was just like, hey, uh, does anyone need a ride home? And you're like, hey, man, yeah, actually, uh, do you mind? I'm like, yeah, of course. So I dropped you off and it's 10 minutes away. I missed the exit. And then we ended <laughs> up just parked out in front of your building for over almost an hour just talking at like midnight about everything from life to religion to your backstory. So I want to just start real quickly. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your background with um, your, your, your work with Google and kind of like that journey that, that went there?
0: Yeah, sure, sure. So first of all, shout out definitely to Augusta. Um, it was a really, really amazing birthday party and uh, all the people that I met, including you. So thank you. So, yeah, in terms of my background, um, well, it's true, like I worked for Google for quite some time. Um, one of the uh, highlights for me at Google was uh, when I got to manage um, the uh, YouTube Street Soccer Tour, which was the, glo- the major anchor for uh, um, the World Cup soccer in two thousand ten in South Africa. I used to play soccer myself. And so, uh, in fact, one of my teammates uh, made it to the to the team, the, the Dutch national team. And so uh, they became second in that World Cup. So it was a very special uh, time, and also because of my African roots. But yeah, basically, that um, was an amazing project. Because I started at Google within the advertising space. So I, I managed. And, and this was right out of school, or? Not straight out of school, actually. So basically, um, I studied business administration, um, international business administration, with a focus on strategy and finance. Um, And I always loved, you know, the creative industries and anything that's innovative. And so initially, I was like really much um, geared towards the music industry and fashion. So I also went to Milan. Um, That's where uh, I studied as well for a, a period of time. Um, I got uh, the chance to go on an exchange program there, which was really, really amazing. Highly recommend anybody to go on an exchange program. And um, yeah, so when, when, when I got there, um, I learned about these industries, but what I noticed, for example, in the music industry, so I wrote my thesis, for example, about strategic renewal in the music industry. At the time of the internet, you know, really at the beginning, we're talking about early 2000s, right? I didn't see them embracing the internet. In fact, they, they they adopted so many defensive strategies. So I wasn't really keen on on, on working there because I felt like this is gonna you know sort of going backwards, right, type of thing. So um, one day I met a um, a buddy of mine from uh, from university, and uh, I saw him with a Google uh, crew, you know, and uh, I basically just greeted them, and all of a sudden I don't know really how, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, there was one a manager from Google. And he asked me if uh i was willing to uh to to get on the interview but literally had like 10 minutes he was like do you have your resume here and luckily i was actually going into um the weeks before i was applying to uh, investment banks and some strategic consultancy companies that was my initial you know sort of take so i was prepared that was the good thing right so that's yeah, the you're first ready for interviews exactly i was ready so You know, that's always uh, something that I tell people, right? It's like, uh, you gotta make sure that uh, whenever you get a chance in life, when it uh, presents itself, right? It's up to you whether you're ready for it, right? So the preparation is key. You never know what's gonna happen. You know, when you meet somebody, and it's like, are you ready for that chance? Or, you know, do you have to let it slip? So in my case, I got on an interview and it went super well. And it was still an informal interview, but it got me into the door, and it kinda you know gave me the uh you know the signal like hey we'll 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 get back in touch." so I didn't have to apply formally like most people, uh but they reached out to me, and so then a few weeks later, I got a call from a Google interviewer um basically from h r and uh I got a screen uh, call on the phone that went really well and they said um are you uh, able to come to Dublin uh tomorrow I said yeah sure so they got me the flights two hours later I got a, <laughs> I got on to Dublin and then I did a bunch of interviews at Amazing. the Google Plex uh, there yeah so it, was a- and really it nice.
1: started in the ad tech space particularly
0: exactly I started in the uh, the the, the ad uh, you know section of Google basically Google AdWords at the time it's called and, uh, yeah, it was really good because it, it, it allowed me to learn, you know, like the, the bread and butter of Google, which is advertising, how mm-hmm. that works, everything related to online marketing, analytics. Um, I was one of the first people in Google that built um, an advanced model for attribution um, uh, modeling because back in the days, people were just focusing on. Let's say measuring traffic, everything was like, get traffic you know, to your site or whatever you were doing. But like what's the traffic actually you know, converting? Right? So how qualitative is that traffic? And then people moved into measuring conversions, but they were still doing what we call last click to conversion. So uh, the way I like to explain it if you do sports, mm-hmm. it's like, let's say soccer, but it could be any other sport for that matter. Right? The bottom line is the person who, who scores often a goal, they get all the credits, right? But without the assist, that person would never be able to make that goal. And so it's the same thing in advertising. You need sometimes right, some, some pre-campaigns that are sort of your assist, the kicker, to closing the deal. There's a few products that you can sell in you know, just one, one moment. But most products, they need, uh, you so know, pre-campaigns different campaigns,
1: ones. meaning so you're warming up the
0: audience before
1: kind of the whole jab, 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 right hook type idea.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Because it's about creating awareness. Um, essentially, one of the things that I worked on as well was like a new model for understanding what the consumer decision journey is. And a lot of times, um, I mean, traditionally, we, we, we always believed it was sort of uh, um, um, a side pyramid type of thing right so it goes from broad to, s- to narrow um, the conversion funnel but in reality it, it it follows a different path and that's because of the internet so basically what happens is when you have a product in mind let's say you want to buy a smartphone right which brands come to mind probably Apple you know iPhone yeah, and, and then the maybe Android. us yeah you think about Samsung and Android yeah but um, then so that's called the initial consideration set but then you're gonna start doing research, right? And that's the active evaluation phase. And in that moment, actually you start to look at other alternatives. So now new brands pop up and that's because people start to search online and that's when they get new information. That's an opportunity to win, you know, a new audience. Initial consideration set are usually those brands that are so dominant, you know, because they have been in business for so many years and it's because of their brand, you know, recognition. So if you're poor in branding you will not be likely in this consideration set but then you have to win in the next phase got it so
1: you would help people on all different aspects not just putting together these campaigns but giving them essentially tips on how to brand themselves how to put themselves and align themselves to even be noticed because you can get maybe their ad in front of them but that entire process of
0: attributing that click to an actual sale is what you really spearheaded exactly what we found while we're at google is that a lot of people Right When they started with Google AdWords, I mean, you know, everybody in the beginning is like super excited. And then, of course, you have a business. So if, if you don't have a positive ROI, you know, you're not going to continue. So the question was, how can we make people spend more you know, on their advertising budget? And so the only way to do that is to help them with their entire business, essentially. And since Google was so key to their business, you know, they also kind of accept that. Advice from us, so that's basically sort of that win-win scenario that we created, and sort of uh, it, it, one of the projects that also developed was a, a project where we were looking to um, develop the next online giant. So you probably know Booking.com, you know they came out of nowhere, and you know it's like one of the success stories of Google um, in terms of cl- Google's clients, right? That really built, yeah, from f- one of the flagships. Yeah, one of the flagships, exactly. So we're trying to see like how can we replicate you know this kind of model? Yeah. So, so so that's the
1: SEM front. Did you also play on the SEO front and was it all interlinked?
0: Good question. So um, in reality, at Google, SEM and SEO is like there's sort of uh, this uh, Chinese wall in between. And that's basically like a lot of, a lot of uh, clients, right? They try to, um, um, I mean, they try to get as much out of Google as possible. And, of course, everybody wants to hack the algorithm. So um, we, we made sure that that was separate. However, um, I worked a lot with the search quality team. And those are the guys that are basically, you know, the experts on SEO. And if you ask them the right questions... You can get some good clues. So I was one of those people that was able to get a little bit more information than the average person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So working within Google, I mean, you have this bird's eye view. You're you're straight up in there learning about the most up-to-date, basically tactics on how to get products seen and sold and all those things. The entire time, are you thinking, man, I could take this and, and do my own thing, or I could take this and learn and grow? And why, like, t- I guess two questions. Why didn't you do something like that sooner? And what is the challenge like when you know you have this huge skill set, but you're also married to this beautiful, beautiful woman named Google who just is, <laughs> is a great lifestyle?
0: <laughs> no, 100%. And that that that's a really good question. So first of all, actually, uh, since I've been very young, I've been quite entrepreneurial. So even when I was in um, primary school, I went to the Montessori school, by the way. Um, I don't even know what that is. Well, actually, Maria Montessori is, uh, just to be clear, it's an Italian woman. Um, And um, basically, she developed a method for learning that requires, you know, the assumption that a kid is naturally interested in learning. And it doesn't fall sort of a plenary, you know, sort of a course uh, module where you have to sit and learn with the entire class at the speed of the class. So... Basically, if you are like a really smart kid, you know, you're, you're kind of sort of limiting, you know, that kid to, to, to accelerate um, his or her learning experience if you have to wait for the entire class to finish a, a topic, for example. But then on the other hand, if you are someone who has maybe a little bit difficulty doing sort of some, some math, then you can also get more, you know, attention Right from from the teacher on that particular subject. So it's more individualized in that sense. So we were free, basically as a kid, you come in school and we had sort of um, uh, an objective, like, okay, these are sort of the tasks for the year, for the month, you know, to finish, but you could decide when you wanted to do what. So I was very active in sports. Um, I played a, a couple of hour a day, in fact. So often I was able to leave school uh, before you know uh, normal closings, and that was because I was able to accelerate you know the work pace, and um, yeah, it was really cool. So, was, for example, my case, I remember in uh, the penultimate year, I was already done with the entire year before Christmas, and that allowed me to uh, to spend more time on drawing, creative stuff, um, writing poetry. Are these are these schools
1: some place you actually show up? So they have physical locations all around the world? Yeah, yeah, they
0: have physical locations. It's a private school.
1: Got it. So, um, And can you, can you take it all online? I mean, I'm sure they probably do something with COVID. That's a good
0: question. Nowadays, um, I believe there must be some online options, but um, I'm not aware of that, you know, personally. Um, I've been to different Montessori schools uh, also because I have some friends now who take their kids to, uh, to these schools. It's not for every kid, though. Some kids um, yeah, need more question. guidance. Yeah. Do you
1: think that it's people who go there just come out these super geniuses, or do you think there's just some like terrible yeah. people there as well, just like in most schools?
0: No, well, you need, you need self-starters. You need, you need kids who... Simple example, right? If you bring a couple of kids to a room and you don't tell them what to do, is this kid able to sort of, um, you know, find something to do on their own? Are they creative enough? Are they, you know, like not bored, basically? And they'll tell you what to do. Basically, like, hey, come and see this. Uh, can you help with this? This kind of kid. That's like the that. one you should uh, take to a school. If it's a kid that, you know, doesn't know what to do, is very bored, it's, it feels lonely, nah, this person will probably drown in Montserrat school. Just t- to, to contextualize it, Larry and Sergey, the two founders of Google, also went to the Montessori school, right? And so a lot of Google's principles, such as the 28 rule, 80 rule, and, you know, a lot of the ideas of um, giving people more freedom, so to speak, um, really came from that Montessori philosophy. Because at Google, one of my projects, which was the huge street circuitry, came from a 20% project. Basically, that means 80% of your work, right, was sort of like... Like the core job that you're doing, and 20% of your time you could do anything you like. This is where a lot of passion projects, you know, got developed. Gmail came out of a 20% project, for example, you know, and a lot of other successful projects, mine including. So, my project was the YouTube Street Soccer Tour. So, I came up with an idea during the 2010 FIFA World Cup to basically create a whole uh, soccer um, uh, experience. Um, where we would play against local talent, bringing some of the best uh, street soccer players and, 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 um, and professional uh, football players um, basically around cities in Europe and Africa uh, towards you know, um, the World Cup in, in South Africa that, uh, that happened in the summer of 2010. It was really great because I, I brought a couple of star uh, soccer players, including my friend Edgar Davids, who played for Juventus, Barcelona. You there know, the go. guy with the glasses. Amazing. Yeah, and he just uh, he just informed me um, that uh, he, uh, he's he been uh, um, getting uh, the uh, assistant uh, coach a job for the Netherlands. So he's going with Louis van Gaal to uh, wow. to Qatar for the, the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. So shout out to my buddy Edgar Davids. And so, yeah, and then we have a bunch of other soccer players. My, uh, Marcel Desai, who joined us in Ghana, Mike Hussien in London, and they played for, you know, clubs such as Chelsea and AC Milan and things like that. So that was really great. And it, it allowed what was really special about this project. At the time, YouTube wasn't officially launched in Africa. And so a lot of the content that, you know, people, consumers in, in, in that part of the world, we're looking at wasn't any African, you know, um, created content. So the idea was to to make that experience more inclusive and sort of inspire, right? More local content to be created. How did you bridge the gap
1: between taking these awesome players and all the excitement, and then linking it to, oh, by the way, let's create content and you know build this?
0: Yeah. So so the cool thing is I actually um, Edgar and I. Um, you know, we we talk about literally everything, basically a little bit like your podcast and uh, just, you know, getting inspired. And so one day we were like, hey, because um, I I moved to Google and I was like, hey, why don't we do something together? And I was trying to figure out what we could do. And so he, he is really into um, street soccer as a culture and a foundation for kids from all kinds of backgrounds to sort of learn some basic rules of life, right? So street soccer is not just about becoming, you know, the best player. It's actually about understanding how to work in a team, um, how to play with new people, how to behave in in such situations, you know, how to communicate better, you know, and how to deal with obstacles and, and, and all these kind of things and basically distract them from, you know, other kinds of paths where we don't want the kids to go. Right, so that in itself was was a good foundation. And so um, connecting that with, with a, a, a competitive element as in showcasing like who is the best street soccer team in the world. So we literally made a competition where Edgar Davis with the street legends, um, they're the guys behind uh, the street soccer game, the EA Sports street wow. soccer game. And wow. they, they, they thought Ronaldinho and all the guys, the mo, you know, all the tricks basically. And um, in Amsterdam, we used to play on on all these soccer pitches, uh, concrete. And so, yeah, that was the the premise. And in fact, uh, you know, any kid loves to compete, right, and and, and show what he or she got. And so the locals, same thing, you know, to be able to play against Edgar Davids and some of the best street soccer players in the world, I mean.
1: It inspires everything. It inspires everything. It says, if
0: this is in my backyard, what else could I do? Exactly. But the cool thing as well is that after that, we also engage in dialogues and friendships and um a guy in Nairobi Kenya invited us you know to 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 go to his home and so you had the freedom to do some really cool creative
1: outlets when working at Google that allowed you to realize your your true potential and got the idea spinning and what was the first big kind of jump away from that and into sort of your own gig
0: Yeah, so I forgot to mention that before, uh, basically while I was still, uh, you know, in school, I had a few companies myself. So I was in the event business. Um, I organized several uh, uh, club nights. Um, I worked as an MC, vocalist, some of the best DJs. Yeah, 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 man. (laughs) So basically what I did was um, I worked with some of the Dutch DJs, such as DJ Hardwell, played at Ultra, you know. What's your MC voice like? Uh, what's my MC voice like? That's a good question, man. So uh, if you put some music, let's see. <laughs> what type of song should we play? It could be anything like a, like a house song or something or, or drum and bass. Alexa, play Avicii. So what I would do is like, futuristic hope, Supreme and fight a life's escape, Trying to forget the ultimate mystery, Reveal your own identity. Seeking for the ability to pure the mind every time it shapes contour so it'll shine. Like a dummy your bling. But getting smaller and smaller. You know? And so basically this kind of stuff, but actually I need the interval where the where she's not singing. That was so the dope, song. dude. Yeah, you yeah,
1: just yeah. you turned it on right there. You were <laughs> just like <laughs> it was like, oh, it's, it's getting
0: weird right now. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. So anyways, coming back to the song, right? Or or emceeing. For me, emceeing was really like to spiritually engage the audience. For me, it wasn't just about like, hey, throw your hands in the air, whatever, you know? But like w- I also worked in, um, um, at the time we had like UK Garage, and so this was more like, um, you know, sort of more grimy style and fast rapping. So it's like, present the answer your talk at 90 degrees, and you go like super fast. But I like to do more the poetry, spoken word, and you know, let people really engage. And so that's the part that I liked.
1: Yeah, you're a rock star.
0: That's that's awesome. Yeah.
1: So you're doing that while you're working at Google. You just you've been doing that probably since you were just a very young person.
0: Yeah. So basically when I was um, at university, that's when I did that mostly. Right. So it actually helped me to pay my student bills. And um, I've been traveling around a bit. I am a seat in Italy, in the Netherlands for the most part. But um, yeah, it was really nice. So you would travel with a DJ and the two of you guys were just going and crush it? Exactly. And now, um, as a result of that, I got my brother who's a DJ producer and he's still a DJ producer as in like, this is his main job. He actually launched a record with Whisked, and, uh, um, we do concerts with Burner Boy. And
1: did that, uh, did that whole experience build your confidence up a lot? Just getting out in front of people and, and spitting? Because I feel anyone that can do that, you're truly being the most authentic version of yourself because it's your creative ability and full flex. And if if you can get in front of a group of people and just say the spoken word or whatever, which is just literally, uh, you know, poetry in motion, I I just feel you feel untouchable after that experience because you're just truly just
0: being yourself. Exactly. So, no, I I, I would agree to that. I must say that I'm lucky with the parents that I have because um, my parents are both entrepreneurs and very creative people. And my father comes from Ghana, West Africa. My mom is Dutch. So also, you know, blending in the different cultures. But basically in the African culture, when you're young, and especially the type of father that I have, I was literally thrown in front of an audience. You know, it's like you have no choice. So there's the music, you know, that's playing and then you gotta go in the middle and show what you got, you know, and then people give you money and that's sort of a way to encourage the kids, you know, to uh, to be out there. But um that's for so, that's yeah. Crazy. For some reason I always liked um to uh, speak in front of an audience, so I remember, like uh, I was uh, standing at the balcony, maybe four years old, and already reciting all kinds of stuff. So that was what was some of my hobbies, let's say. Yeah, that's you know? so cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: we need to. Uh, we're gonna.
0: That, that's awesome. I I one of my hobbies
1: is 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 rapping freestyle rap mostly just with when no one's around and (laughs) i just listen to music in the car and i just try to freestyle rap as much as i can and it never makes any sense like one out of 10 lines i'm like that was a little bit fire (laughs) but then
0: then i just laugh at it and i lose my whole focus oh okay well i must say like if you look if you listen to someone like at sharon right he he once said look for example he showed in one interview a dutch interview um he was like at first i couldn't sing and so it was like you just got to repeat, 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 like sort of doing this 10,000 hours, right? And then you become a master type of approach. So that's what, uh, what Ed did. And um, I can say that um, from a Buddhist point of view, right, the dirt has to come up first, let's say, you know? So when you're thinking or whatever, spit all the garbage out. And then, you know, um, same thing with Martin Garrix when he produced animals, this... Uh, famous uh, edm track yeah that was a good one yeah so uh he said the same thing like you can't imagine the stuff that he was making you know the, the the two years prior to that song it was a bunch of crap but then this beautiful amazing thing comes out most people the problem i think why they don't succeed is because they give up too easily
1: you know and clearly you have not given up and i i love what you've done with fun fit women it's incredible Thank you. And I would love for you to tell everyone what that's all about because you guys are what at 5 million YouTube subscribers today? Yeah, 5 million and growing. Yes, correct. I mean, when I think about that, when I think about being a creator and building a YouTube channel and and marketing to the right people and just that whole space of building an actual channel is is I wouldn't say it's so difficult, but it's very difficult, right? Yeah. And I think about your background in the Google world and you know, essentially like engineering the way people look at things and then seeing that you literally did it, you literally built this incredible brand. It's, it's crazy, man. How did it start?
0: So, yeah. So basically, um, I mean, Google was definitely, you know, where it started as in, I was one of the pioneers, um, on YouTube. At Google, I did uh, one of the first campaigns with Nike and then the YouTube Street Soccer Tour in 2010, which is pretty much one of the first global um, YouTube campaigns in history. So that's sort of where I I got the idea. And then there was this one girl um, who I really, really like Uh, till this day. I think she's really, really uh, inspiring. Her name is Michelle Phan. She is um, a Vietnamese-American girl. And uh, she is literally one of the makeup uh, gurus on YouTube. Um, she created her company called uh, Ipsy. And now she has uh, M Cosmetics, which she bought back from L'Oreal. And it's a really, really successful story. But the beautiful thing was I saw that she created authentic, you know, real content. And so when I saw that, um, and I want to be a little bit more hands-on and creative. So I like, you know, the business side, the analytics. But I felt like when you do consultancy work, You know, people tend at best to take 50% of your recommendations and that's, you know, something good. And I felt like, look, um, you know, I want to be on the other side of the gold mine, so to speak. But not just for the money, actually really to to impact people, you know. And uh, one of the things that I noticed is that um, there was not a lot of uh, content within the uh, women fitness space and, and, and wellness. A lot of content was created for men. Um, by other men and uh, yeah I did a lot of meta research and I and I I saw that so when I met my business partner um, Susana Yabar she used to work on TV um, in a pretty successful career in in, in Spain as a reporter and so on and so forth Um, I basically approached her with the idea when we met in Ibiza and was like hey why don't we do something together we both love to travel um i remember i told you about this african proverb right uh which i tend to use is we travel not to escape life but we travel so life doesn't escape us and one of the things that i was missing while i was at google was that although it was literally the most amazing job that i've had you know at a, a company it was essentially still you know a place where you needed to check in every time the same office there was little flexibility to work from different offices you know you could do that occasionally but i felt like if you don't see 90 percent of your clients i mean why do we need to work from the office you know like why not travel there were a lot of other google offices that were you know not fully utilized so i felt like you know this is a no-brainer right but i guess a lot of people found it out in the pandemic (laughs) (laughs) but that vision i had for a long time already you know so, so that was the that was the idea behind it, and um, um, developed the slogan: "Confidence is our best makeup." So the idea is that although a lot of times um, you see that when you want to create a community, that's the first thing you need to um, figure out a shared belief, right? This is how you create a community, and while you share a certain belief, um, you know people flock, and and this is how you build your tribe. And then they'll start to give you ideas as well, you know, that you can piggyback on and stuff like that. And and then, you know, it grows organically. When you say giving you ideas, you mean sort of if you have this community,
1: imagine you have 20 people that love working out. Now all of a sudden they're saying, hey, you should do a video on this and you should do a video on this. And they start giving you the content
0: ideas and then you basically bring it over and say, hey, we're hearing a lot of this, so let's push this out. Exactly, exactly. That's the thing, right? Th- they give you a lot of ideas and, and signals. Um, of course, you got to be a little bit careful at the beginning because I feel like the mistake that most entrepreneurs or, or starting entrepreneurs make is that they kind of listen to everything around them in the beginning. And if people don't understand your vision, then you can easily get distracted and literally go on the wrong path. You know, so, um, and also, same Google had the same problem because, like, Google focused so much on, you know, sort of, Basically, um, like they're really techies and, you know, like sort of the 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 first group analysis
1: paralysis.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because what happens is that in the end, if you really want to grow your business into, you know, like substantial numbers, you you have to tap into a different audience. This is not the first mover anymore. Right. And so they might not be so interested in what the first group was interested in. So you really need to have that clear vision, understand. You, you, you still need to decide. So you need to filter from whatever you're hearing, you see? But it's not like you blindly follow whatever your audience tells you to do. Sometimes you have to fire a client, essentially, right? Between brackets, as in, if this person is taking, is absorbing too much of your time, right? and And, and it's not really helping where you want to go, then... You know, firing a client would be like, let's say, the tough approach. But there's also another approach where you literally like recommend someone else who can better serve, you know, you, because that's not what you're about. So it depends, you know, what, what, what you're trying to, um, to do. But in our case, what we really wanted to do is really inspire women to become the best version of themselves. And it started literally with, OK, let's start with the body. I want to have slim waist, for example. Um, that was one of the things I found on, on YouTube, which was really interesting. A lot of the, the content was like, get a six pack, this, that, blah, 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 apps, you know? But like, women don't really care so much about six packs, right? So they care more about slimming their weight. So change the semantics already, you know, attracts a different audience. You still gotta moderate. So that's what we did as well, a lot of moderation. And that means that we were able to really get women. So 90% of our audience are literally women. Because a lot of women, they actually attract a lot of men. Nothing wrong with that, but if that's not your goal, then you know you got to be careful, right? So it's really creating a safe space for women. That's what we did. And so if you don't moderate in the beginning, you'll get you know basically the wrong people, um, what's like trollers and things like that.
1: Yeah, and what are some of the things that go into your thought process when you make a video and you're doing keyword research and you're trying to understand... Like Before you make a video, do you know what the title is going to be and what the content is going to be? And, and you know, you basically ran a test beforehand to know that it's going to hit based on what you see. Yeah, so
0: that's the ideal approach. And um, that's something that we're we're trying to do more. But in reality, um, especially when you travel like we did before pandemic, literally like could be like every two weeks. We're in a different city, every month, different country. So if that's the case... Um, a lot of times, you know, um, especially the type of content we make because it wasn't just about creating bodyweight exercises, exercise where we actually wanted to film in the most beautiful location. So it's also sort of a virtual travel experience and you get to travel, right? Um, you know, through our eyes and, you know, enjoy the world. And it's a little bit more motivating than just looking at, you know, uh, a painted wall or, you know, for lack of a better word. For sure. But But yeah, that kind of stuff. So essentially here... Um, remind me the question exactly so I can answer that specifically. Uh, did
1: you do keyword research before you made these videos? The titles, right? Yeah.
0: Yes. So keyword research, yes. But then more in the broader terms. So for example, we figured out like, okay, um, we need more of, you know, waste, um, slimming content, things of that nature. Mm. But, um, other than that, um, we found that we needed to produce quicker than we could kind of think. Right or or do research. So a lot of lot of it in reality happened after the fact. Amazingly enough is that when you're really tuned into your authentic self, right, and the vision is clear, it doesn't really matter because every time things found place, you know it was like really amazing. So um, we literally like would match the clothes with, you know, um, the places where we had to film. But sometimes we literally had literally like three hours to make a decision and go, right? So you, you just need to bring sort of uh, a set you know, of clothes and then quickly you know, match whatever works and then you go with it. And so luckily that worked out for us. Got it, so you have the style. Yeah, I mean,
1: you're very well-dimensioned, right? You have this analytical mind where you geek out on the tech but you're also a straight MC and you want to be out there making stuff happen.
0: Exactly. And I'm sure that probably just teeter-tatters in your head all the time. Yes. And so here, th- this is my thing. So what I, what I, and did my brother actually, um, um, my late brother, um, who I mentioned to you about, Nana, he's always uh, still with me every time I think about him. But essentially, one of the things that he, he mentioned to me was, because he was an actor and comedian, and uh, he said that uh, he found that whenever you uh, prepare a show or you know any activity that is special to you um, you are rewarded somehow and that means like some amazing things happen that you didn't expect you see but if you don't repair then it can become very messy so simple example because we prepared in you know the broad sense we usually got like, all these rewards and things fell, fall into place. It's like you're in rhythm with the universe kind of thing.
1: I love that. Well, it's very timely because I've been preparing to marry my two friends on a yacht next Saturday, um, <laughs> night and day. M- might have said the speech 400 times in front of the sky. But I think it's right, is that when you, I love what you say there because if you put your heart and soul into something and you put out good energy into it and you really give it your all, people see that, people feel that, and they. it's kind of like the
0: art of um, reciprocation yes it's, it wants to come back for me it's really simple right it's about energy so it's like what kind of energy do you put out in the world right is this you know if you're at a high energy right so let's say you're in a club right you, you need to get the crowd moving so you need to be in a high energy but also sometimes when it becomes too hectic because the, the club is too full there's too many people you need to understand how to you know turn the energy down again you know so people relax and they calm down and people are not explosive you know so managing the energy flow is really key here and so i always say to people like the environment is a reflection of ourselves right and so simple example so if i smile you know you smile back right like if i was if i came here very grumpy and i was like ah. Oh, I hate to be here, whatever. I don't think we'd have a great conversation, right? For sure. <laughs> you probably would have kicked me out before mm. we even started. So, you know, basically that's that's the whole thing. And um, if you if you go into any place, any space, and you see a bunch of people, you know, the people that have a lot of fun usually attract a lot of other people around them. Everybody wants to sit near those people. Nobody wants to sit, you know, behind someone. You know, who's like super moody unless, you know, you have a sick desire for, you know, anything. You yeah, know, unless you're just like looking for out. someone to.
1: <laughs> it's like sort of the mosquitoes thing, you know, you yeah. can't hang out with mosquitoes because they'll just suck the blood out of you. you exactly. Know? Yeah. There's no instance where it's fun to hang out with a mosquito in, exactly. unless you're a bat.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's one approach, though. There's <laughs> <one>. <laughs> And then COVID happens,
1: so it's not even worth yeah. it.
0: <laughs> but have you heard of the expression to turn poison into your medicine? Yeah. So, so basically, that's a, another approach that I live by. Eh? And so it means that sometimes, though, we are able to turn something negative into positive, right? And I think that as long as we're committed enough, and we, we have a clear purpose, then that allows us sometimes to turn something that appears to be, you know, toxic or negative into something positive. For example, on our YouTube channel, we have a lot of comments, right, from people. And usually luckily they're very positive, but sometimes you have these people that are just not in a good mood and they might say something yeah. you know nasty, right? So what do you do in that instance? I found that if you literally don't take it personal, but you just acknowledge the comment. And you just try to figure out, okay, what's going on in this person's mind, you know, and then react in a compassionate manner. I have seen over and over again that these people change. So nine out of ten times, they actually apologize and they actually become very nice. uh, Can you give an example? So if I
1: commented on your photo, like, OMG, you guys are so shallow and I hate watching your stupid video. I hope you die how
0: would you respond to that okay so this is a very <laughs> on the spot and very specific but let's try so if you if you would say something uh like that right so the first thing is that you that you that you can literally say something as um, thank you for sharing you know um this heartfelt comment <laughs> Um And then I would I would say something about, so this, this person is like, "I hope, I hope you die, this is stupid, right? I could sometimes literally ask, if, if I'm very confident, I would literally ask okay. like to understand what they thought was so stupid. you know, and then we engage in the conversation, I can explain why yeah. I think that's different, or this is another way of looking at it, you know? Or I say, I can imagine that maybe this looks or appears stupid. But if you actually try it, yeah. it will do you wonders. It's
1: interesting because you, if they're a smart ass, right? You could reply back in that and just get them more like angry. But the way you actually position it, and I ask that just because I'm curious, because that's one of the hardest things about being a creator is when you just yeah. get those mean fourteen-year-old kids that are just messaging yeah. you the most savagery stuff, right? Yeah. And you're just like, you don't care about the nine good comments; you care about the one bad one.
0: Yeah. And so here's the thing, though. What I see a lot of people doing is that they Either they react simply just nasty and their bad side comes out because of, you know, the negative comment. Um, and the other thing is that they, that they re- respond in a very sarcastic way. And I don't find that compassionate. So compassion is not looking down at someone, you know, or pity the person, right? Um, compassionate is really about, you know, acknowledge this person as another, you know, um, human being that also values you know to be absolutely happy you know so sometimes i've also let's try like how can i help you like in 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 a very simple way you know or like or how how you know how can i serve you or how can i you know make sure that you're having a great time and then they they have to think because they actually don't know the answer to that
1: damn you just uno reverse them exactly yeah, that's huge, and it goes down to your philosophy. And I was at—we got into about a twenty-minute conversation just because I was so curious about Buddhism and yeah. the practices of being a Buddhist. Uh, could you give a quick understanding of the just the raw principles of Buddhism for anyone that doesn't know?
0: Yeah, sure. So I practice Nichiren Daishonin's Buddhism, and um, essentially, um, as a member of the Soka Gakkai uh, International, which means value-creating organization. That's a translation from Japanese. It's an organization with more than 12 million members around the world. Uh, my mentor Daisaku Ikeda um, um, is a person who uh, I learned, you know, a lot from. And uh, uh, basically, to explain what Buddhism is about, um, one of the key essential things is how can we become absolutely happy, right? So we distinguish absolute happiness from relative happiness. It's not that relative happiness doesn't matter or is not important. It's just that we need to understand the difference. So the difference between the two is that relative happiness is happiness that is related to external factors. So you got the great car, you got the great house, you got the beautiful girlfriend, all that kind of stuff, right? External factors. Um, and so when they go, sort of the happiness disappears with it. But absolute happiness is happiness that comes from within. And it comes from within when you are aligned with your mission and mission loosely translated in Japanese uh, from a Buddhist perspective would be to utilize one's talent or potential for good. So if you do that, right, then you find your purpose in life. And that in itself, right, is what can give you that happiness. So you can be happy um, in the worst circumstances. And it's also having the conviction that no matter the obstacle you are confronted with that we have the ability to overcome this obstacle. And that's why having, uh, being in a, in, a, in, a, in a high life state is so essential. So what we do when, when, we, when we practice Buddhism is that we, we typically chant in the morning and in the evening. So we recite the words Namyo myoho kyo and this basically means that I devote myself um, to the law of cause and effect and, um, basically take the responsibility for my own happiness. Cause that's a big difference. A lot of people, they, they project, you know, their happiness on other people. So what does that mean? If you believe that other people can only make you happy, right? Or unhappy for that matter, then you're giving them all the power about your happiness. So basically, you know, you, 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 you give away the c- that control, right, that you, that you have yourself. So the way, the way you can see it as a metaphor is that we have every cause, but basically every effect in life, let's put it this way, every effect, every consequence is a direct result of a combination of an internal and an external cause. So if we're talking about a plant, we have the seed and the water for the plant to you know uh, blossom right so the external and the internal but we can control the internal cause and so that's why a lot of times when things happen to us and someone says something to us how do we approach that person or ourselves for that matter and so the practice of what we call human revolution is something that we daily practice and that means we're constantly working on ourselves to improve um, our state of mind, our state of being, as in we want to bring forth our wisdom, courage, and compassion and overcome our doubt and arrogance. And arrogance means I don't believe in your potential, your full potential. In fact, we believe in limitless potential. We all have limitless potential. The abundance mentality. The abundance mentality, exactly. And doubt means I don't acknowledge my own, you know, limitless potential. And that's also a form of arrogance in that sense. So we need to overcome that. And so the beautiful thing about putting this into practice, for example, if you want to resolve conflicts, is that. And I remember one, one, one beautiful encounter with a teacher of mine um, at school when he, I had the feeling like, you know, what do you have against me? You know, kind of question. And uh, he said, look, I have nothing against you only against that behavior. For example, I wasn't doing my homework. Yeah. Right? So um, the the point is, if we can separate the behavior from the person, something really beautiful starts to happen if you really see this. Because why? You can reject someone's behavior, but you don't need to reject the person.
1: So you can forgive almost anyone when they do something. Exactly.
0: Crazy. And it also means that when you speak to that person, you can say, hey, you know, uh, this behavior that you just shown makes me feel so-and-so. And as a result, you know, um, I feel less excited to hang out with you, for example. But it doesn't mean that you're saying, hey, you are stupid or you're this, you're that, where you're immediately rejecting the person. So now you give this person, the, you know, the, the opportunity to have a dialogue and better understanding. And so that's so essential. So in the end, it's really about how can we create a more harmonious society for ourselves um, where we respect the dignity of all life. When we say all life is literally all life, there is no exception whatsoever.
1: Yeah, because the, the person that didn't, the before you educated me, when I thought of Buddhism, I think of someone that won't, won't ever step on a bug because of, you know, the, the bug is a soul from someone. Um, when you talk, told me about this, it was really life-changing to me. It was Thanks. cool, it was interesting. Because, I mean, when you say it like bad, I'm like, why isn't everyone just practicing Buddhism? <laughs> I mean, that sounds a pretty solid philosophy in living your life.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, um, I mean, here's the beautiful thing, right? We need to ask ourselves, like, why do we exist? What's the purpose, right? Or or what do we want, you know, to leave as a legacy here in the end? I, I feel like nobody, you know, w- when you get born, you know, like... You, you you think to destroy the world, right? It's just because of bad experiences, you know, the way you have been raised by your environment that sort of left different traumas and sort of a form of ignorance, you know, on certain things. But um in the end everybody wants to feel good, right? I mean essentially here's the thing, like if your lowest life state is a state of hell where you literally don't see the purpose of living anymore, actually what these people feel like And I've been very close to to some of these people. Um, I had a really interesting encounter. But um, basically what I saw in that experience is that these people don't want to die. They just want to kill the situation they're in. But they feel that that's the only way out of their situation.
1: What have you seen that is a path that people can take to find themselves out of those situations for people that are in a really dark space and maybe haven't seen this outlook of looking
0: at things? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So technically, right? I mean, the the most pure answer that I can give you is that you literally chant nam myoho kyo because when you chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo you literally activate your Buddha nature. So you automatically get into a higher life state every time you chant. But for those people who don't know what chanting is or for whatever reason still feel that, you know, they have resistance to doing it in the first place. Um, there are other techniques. Um, they don't work as good, but they do work, right? And that is like you have anchoring techniques, right, where you literally like every time you went through a great experience, you can sort of bring those memories back. right so um, if you, for example, if you have sort of a symbol of clapping and you feel you know great because you know you won, and if you do the same. Same thing when you're really feeling bad, you can bring back that good energy. Listening to certain type of music can change the entire you know, flow. Uh, but if someone is really, really deep, often they need help, right? It's like something that's very hard to do on your own. So I think f- people who have people around them that have the tendency, right, to give them life is really to, to, to listen without judging. And literally acknowledging, because a lot of people don't feel acknowledged; they feel misunderstood, and that's where their, you know, depression and frustration comes from. And then the idea that they cannot make any mistakes, because if I make a mistake, then you know I suck. And you know we're too hard on ourselves in certain ways, and we're we're not strict enough in other areas.
1: With um, when it comes to religion and yoga and and Buddhism and chanting, a lot of that stuff. When you go to yoga for the first time, there's different yoga chants that people do. Um, but different, yeah, different religions have different chants. Is there something that they all have in common? And, and if so, is, is breath and, and meditation and breathing like very central inside of like, Buddhism particularly, or is it very related?:
0: Yeah, so um, one of the things that is, that is uh, really essential is, is the vibration. So when we chant, you basically vibrate, right? this energy into an entire universe so that's why you can literally reach someone that is you know uh, let's say in australia right Uh, if we're here in the u.s so um, it basically can travel any distance if you go into quantum physics um, we'll start to see that science is going to prove this Um, there are several people in this field that uh, um, are scientifically um, proving this 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 fact and um yeah so 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 basically breeding of course is important um and we always say that the conviction i would say like one of the things that all these religions have in common right i think is the conviction the determination right to really really go for something you're believing in right and um essentially, you know, the, the essence of love is, is key too. And so if you think about it, one of the things I would like to see more in this world is self-love. A lot of times problems start because we don't love ourselves enough. And that's why we project that anger on other people. So we, we often blame people for the things that, you know, we, we we haven't dealt with ourselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, that can reflect pretty much even... I mean, a lot of it probably has to do a lot with your ego, right? Yes. It's when you see someone succeeding, and you see someone maybe get the their the, your dream car, or like they have this great family, you're just like this motherfucker, you know. You're just you have these symptoms where you're pushing down. And you don't want to see them succeed, but truthfully, it just makes you feel uncomfortable exactly. because you feel like it should be you and not them, or vice versa. Exactly. What I often see is like
0: if someone has something you know substantially more that you lack so it's basically the opposite you know of you two things tend to happen you either admire that person or you develop an allergy it's the two are very very close you know but the beautiful part of it is that once you recognize this it is an opportunity to learn because you start to see like, oh, why do I envy this person? It's actually because I realize that I'm struggling, you know. But okay, this person has maybe a little bit too much of what I would like. Simple example, you have people who love to speak and people who hate to talk, right? (laughs) And they hate it like, oh, this person is always talking, 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 you know, like never can shut up. And then this other person is pretty much, you know, like finds it hard to speak in front of, you know, an audience and what happens is like they feel that they're not being acknowledged or, you know, they're sort of pushed back, which often happens. And so I think it's finding that balance on both sides. I think a big part of my life that I'm
1: still always trying to figure out is um, everyone has their own gifts, right? Some people are great speakers, MCs, painters, artists. Some people just crush it in, in Call of Duty, like whatever your thing is, right? You have a gift If you acknowledge that you have a gift, it really opens up a whole new world because people that have gifts and everyone has gifts, it's just some people have acknowledged that gift and proven it to the world and other people haven't, right? You now feel more comfortable surrounding yourself with other gifted people and you start giving yourself the flexibility to say, hey, I, I belong here. But if you don't, if you don't believe that you belong, that you can contribute to the group. You'll never be ready and prepared for that day that you get the call and you get the opportunity and you're prepared for that. So
0: that just kind of went full circle with what you said earlier. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And uh, thanks for sharing. So what, what I see a lot of times is that when we're talking about, um, let's say, talent, mission and, and these kind of things um, and then sort of competition, um, if we go back to the word competitor, which is a Latin word, essentially the whole meaning behind it was to really you know sort of engage yourself into becoming better. But often what we need is someone else to polish you know our our character, so to speak. So it's the same way like you need two two diamonds, two rough diamonds, right to uh, to, to polish each other, right. So it's like same thing with human beings. So that, in that interaction, we become better people, and that's beautiful because once you realize that, then you also can have more gratitude and can be more grateful for certain experiences, even if you meet someone and didn't work out, but it's like, "Oh, actually, there's a lesson here, right what does it What does it say about me? Maybe I should understand where to put set more limits, or you know it could be more engaging or or any of that kind. What I truly believe, and I think if you can believe this, it changes everything, the way you think about competition, and you never have to feel jealous about anything. And that is the fact that we are all unique, and we are all uniquely gifted. So in other words, there is enough space for each and everyone to literally you know, showcase our talent and our gift. So if you really focus on your own gift and encourage other people to showcase their gift we actually create a better world a metaphor for this is if you think about a orchestra right or or any band you know one is the drum right the other plays the saxophone and so on and so forth right so all these instruments together create a beautiful you know harmonic you know melody let's say so this is my ideal, you know, way of looking at it. And, and I feel like if you, if you really believe that you're not, you're not worried about, you know, anything for that matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting from my perspective because when I met you and we were talking about just some of your, you're just all the ideas, you always have so many different ideas, right? And typically people that, you know, have are ambitious, have a bunch of ideas and different projects they always want to work on. How, what are some of the things that you've used that help you sort of prioritize where you should spend your time yes. and not get distracted versus um,
0: likewise? Sure, sure. And I think that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, first of all, that's an ever, ever challenging, you know, kind of day to day operation. Right. Especially when we have so many ideas. Um, I find that that has been one of my biggest challenges is to choose. Um, it started already with the different sports I was playing. I was playing soccer at a, you know, um, top level tennis, karate. And then, yeah, where do you go? So early on, I got that advice. Like you got to choose, right? Because otherwise you're going to be like mediocre kind of in mm-hmm. everything you do. So the thing that helps me is a couple of things. Number one, I look at uh, a concept from, uh, Mr. Makiguchi, who is was the first president of the SGI, he, he developed a concept which is called The Good, The Beauty, and The Benefit. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to have all these three elements in harmony. Most people only focus on one or two of these three elements. And that's why they're in balance. So the idea is beauty is number one, right? Uh, do something that you're truly passionate about. And if you're passionate about something, then probably you tie into your talent naturally. Good is to create value, not just for yourself, but also for the society around you. And then benefit in the end, you know, we need to make a living, money, uh, and so on and so forth, right, so it's these three elements. And so what you see is that people are all about nonprofit and for good causes, but they forget that, you know, um, I need to survive, basically, if, if, if you can't pay your rent, how can you keep helping other people if you spend too much time struggling and you cannot sleep well and things of that nature, right? Um, And then you have people who are only focusing on benefits and they're creating a product that doesn't really add any meaningful value to society. In fact, it could destroy people, uh, in my opinion. You know, that's something that uh, a lot of people uh, tend to overlook. And so the idea is that in the short term, it's maybe great because, you know, you get some quick money in, but in the end, it doesn't really fulfill you, right? So... I try to look at these three things so can I find in all the ideas that I have do I find these three elements so that's the first you know thing that I do and then the second thing is that you then look at impact where do I generate the most impact what is something that I could could do that maybe not someone else could do so so easily and what is something that I could literally share with someone else and maybe they could even do it better than me right then i might even share the idea with you and like go ahead because to me the more important thing that gets done i don't need necessarily to do it myself so that's sort of how i look at it
1: yeah that's that's powerful i mean asking yourself those questions i think getting to a point where you're comfortable is like everyone's first priority and instinct when you're in a scenario where you don't have enough money or you're like you're you're just not in a house you like to live in, a place you like to live in, the people around. It's your first instinct is I need to get food, clothing and shelter. I need to have my stuff. And then once you get that, once you have some cash, once you can get to a position where you can stop and say, okay, everything I wanted, I now have. Then you ask yourself, what's next? What do I want? And then you almost go back in time and say, okay, what actually makes me happy? So it's doing those happiness audits that we need to do to ourselves all the time and ask ourselves what is happiness to us? Correct. Cause if we, most people and including me at some level, and I'm always trying to work on it, don't truly know what makes them happy. And then they get caught up in the world's definition of what makes them happy. Correct. And then they're behind in bills and then they lose it all. And then, you know, it just turns into a nightmare. So it's, and it also goes back to the question of like you were talking with Buddhism, it's about working on yourself. And, and being happy with yourself. And that's also what you need to do
0: if you're ever going to be in a good relationship, right? Correct, correct. And so, yeah, the the, the the approach that I also follow is also a Buddhist concept, and that is about prior, prioritizing the following. And that is we have the heart, we have the body, and we have the storehouse. And so in terms of your value underlying value-based system, um, a lot of people, they might prioritize the storehouse storehouse is another word for money basically um so what i do is i focus on the heart first so any decision that you make you know start from the pure heart then you will naturally focus on the body which means your health right and then you focus on the storehouse so they are all three important but there is a difference in priority So in other words, if you focus on the storehouse, that's your main priority. It will come at cost of the heart and the body because, you know, it's a situation where people are overworked and, you know, they're burned out and things of that nature. So it's really important to follow that sequence, in my opinion.
1: Heart, body, storehouse. Correct. I love that. Yeah. In terms of the body, what type of health wise and, and diets? Are you vegan?
0: so i be, <laughs> yeah good question so vegan <laughs> vegan for me is sort of uh uh yeah i eat a lot of vegan food i wouldn't say i'm vegan because um i do eat fish occasionally but i don't eat dairy products i don't take sugar and so uh yeah try to uh, do you do, me? no, do you meat? away no i don't eat
1: meat no okay no. so only fish so yes correct. one may call that a
0: pescatarian correct, correct. got it yep. what type of fish you like I actually, uh, last week I prepared a really nice red snapper. <laughs> yeah. Snapper's the best. <laughs> exactly. And I have a really nice recipe, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's the best. I, I, have you ever done spearfishing? No, actually, uh, you know, I found, uh, a guy in Tulum, a little kid of like 11 years old. And my friend was saying, this kid needs to have a YouTube channel, uh, cause he knows how to spearfish already, you know, at 11 years old. So yeah,
1: uh, that's, that's the one of the most. Satisfying hobbies, right? When you go down there, you jump in the water straight spear in hand, just me, the ocean, and the fish. Very yeah. dangerous. You can really F yourself up real quick, but it's also really rewarding yeah. when you get that fish. Uh, it's also the least invasive way of fishing, which is a great interesting, fun fact. Interesting. We're actually going to have the guys from Spear Fishing Review on the podcast oh, over really? in the next few weeks. They have like the largest spear fishing channel. They're going to be coming in here. They actually live in Miami. It's so crazy. Oh, wow. Really? um so Good I'm medicine. excited to meet those guys, but I w- the fishing thing is great, and just the being a pescatarian makes a lot of sense. Have you found that? Do you do that because of how your body reacts, or is it more from like an ideal
0: standpoint? It's a little bit of, uh, little bit of both. Um, at some point, you know, like during the pandemic, I was staying with my mother and in Amsterdam. Uh, for the most part, I was also in Portugal and Ibiza, but um, when I was there. She hardly eats meat and um I didn't really feel the need to. So we're like, okay, um let's just stop buying meat. And then you're not really eating at other people's places anymore. So right. um <laughs> you know, naturally sort of, you know, you get yourself into the habit. And so when um I went to the vegetable store, um, they had a butcher inside as well. And I literally couldn't even look at the meat anymore. It's like I couldn't eat it, and also then I start thinking about all the animals, you know, and the way they're suffering. And you you ask yourself, is it really necessary to eat, you know, so much meat, you know, and all these animals have to die, you know, for no reason, really. Um, I'm not against it, hundred percent, you know, but I feel like we can be way more conscious about, you know, the food that we consume, yeah, and the reason why, you know, because in the end of the day, also from a Buddhist perspective. Um, there's no such thing as you can do this but we live with the cause. Uh, the causes we make have the consequences we have to face right so it does does impact us the decisions we make so in that sense I really believe that um, a lot of things in this world are a direct result of some of these actions that we take you know um, the way we treat our animals is also a direct reflection of some of the sickness that we see in this world, some of the things that, you know, we've experienced. That's just what I believe from a more spiritual point of view.
1: If someone wanted to dip their toes into Buddhism and start implementing some of these philosophies, what books or people would you recommend they check out?
0: Yeah. So I would, uh, this is really
1: asking for myself.
0: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sure. 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 So, so first of all, I would go to uh, the website. We have a good website. You can go to SGI.org. And from there, you can go to the U.S. site. I think it's um, sgi-usa.com, but I'm not 100% sure. So better go to sgi.org and you'll find the U.S. version. And um, yeah, there's one called socaglobal.com, And it's really beautiful because there you find a lot of um, uh, reading materials, um, articles, books. There's one book that I highly recommend, which is called The New Human Revolution by Daisaku Ikeda. It's actually, I think it's uh, um, a, no- a novel with the most, uh, how do you say that? Um, reviews? No, not even reviews, versions. So oh. um, he has written, uh, um, you know, more than 20 uh, that's crazy. books, you know, within this series. I mean, yeah, and it's he has deep. written so many, many other books. But yeah, that's definitely one that I that I um, recommend. And then there's a book that's called basics of buddhism um and that really helps to to explain some of these main principles yeah yeah that's what i would uh, do a question
1: i always ask anyone that ever comes on the pod and it's sort of something that uh, you just kind of got to look inside is if you could go back in time and you know the 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 now you could go back to the pre-google you Yes. And you could have told yourself, you know, one, two, or three things that could have saved you a ton of time, money, heartache, headache. And you only had like, you know, a quick, psh, like, well, it's not about me. And obviously the best answer is I wouldn't have told myself anything because it made me who I am today. But we're not going to use that for the sake of the question. What are
0: some of those lessons you wish you could have really instilled upon yourself? Yeah, so the first thing, this is a really good question. Um, the first thing I would tell myself is never base any decision on fear but rather on possibilities and opportunities and um i mean i remember actually this was also during um i think it was at the time when uh, obama was running for president and i was listening to michelle obama speak and she was explaining like they asked her like oh what do you think that your husband is going to run for president and are you comfortable with everything that it brings you know and she somehow said something similar that they made a decision not to, uh, you know, base any decisions on fear. And I was like, wow, that's such a Buddhist concept, you know, where did they get that from? But it's interesting. So, yeah, so that's something what I've learned from my um, mentor is that we, we, we often base our decisions on fear. And uh, it's, it comes from a place of ignorance and, and self-doubt. And it makes life really difficult, you know. Um, I can really look back at those moments like, why did I do that? Like, what do we have to lose in the first place? So I'm happy that, uh, you know, um, many, many times I was able just to follow my heart and and just go when other people said, don't do it, you know, getting into Google was already amazing, but then leaving Google was like even more amazing. Uh, and people were like, this is crazy. Cause you know, at the time people were, the whole world was in a crisis or sort of, uh, you know, after, after period of that. And um, Google was going, you know, all the way up, very successful. And I was leaving a very successful company, a successful career to go back in the unknown. People were like, it makes no sense. But in the end, you can only live your life, you know, you cannot live someone else's life. And so that's really important because in the end, if you live someone else's life, try to please other people, you're going to be empty inside. That's really what I feel. Whereas if you truly live by your own standards, and I'm talking about your good standards, not the lost you, the authentic you, you know, that person, you know, that really wants to do good with the talent that you have, that person, that's your authentic self that authentic self will naturally inspire other people. That's money.
1: There it is. I I, I love this. We need to make this a, a, a regular thing. You're welcome to my house anytime. Thanks, bro. Man, yeah. I, I could just, I mean, again, I, we could just talk about this for another few hours and it's interesting because I mean, I just I, I fight with this all the time. Um, someone always says to me. Some, sometimes people say, "Ian, are you always so happy?" Because like people see my stories. I'm like, "What's up, y'all?" It's a damn good day. I roll in the post office. I'm like, "What's up, y'all?" It's a damn good day. <laughs> oh, I was a damn good day. Like I just people ask myself like, "Are you always so happy?" And I really ask myself that question. And it's not true. Like sometimes I get super sad. And like I think a lot of people that are very happy also see it on the other side. I'm like 90% stoked on life, but sometimes you just, you hit periods in your life where you're just not like, you just don't have that burst. And a lot of it's, you're asking yourself hard questions. Like, am I doing what I love? Am I solving my purpose? What should I be doing? And I think it's very natural, but you have to have that sort of, at some level, you need to have some pain and suffering in order to become a better person and to like grow into a new person. So it's almost like growing pains into finding your happiness I'm just rambling, but it's I, I was just thinking about just this entire the the Buddhist philosophy and, and how do I in
0: some way live some of those practices? And if so, which ones should I be implementing? Interesting. Yeah. So I feel like when it comes to pain, pain we can really use as as uh as a source, as a fuel for growth. You know, so the more important thing is not to sort of um Disregard the pain that we're feeling. Accept the pain you're feeling, but redirect your pain. You know, because if you redirect your pain, you can turn, you know, something into something that is apparently very negative into something very positive. You see, so um, if you you face something difficult and you had to suffer. But you're overcoming, you know, whatever it is, could be sickness, could be anything. And now there's other people that you meet in your life and they're going through something similar. You know, you can use that. Yeah, you, you build know. empathy. You build empathy, yeah. compassion, but also, you know, the spirit of never giving up. And that is that's the beautiful gift that you can give to those people. So then you turn that poison into your medicine and that it becomes a gift. So a lot of times our misfortune, our pain is actually directly our strength when we understand how we can redirect because it's an energy. So it's just about understanding how you can use the energy for good. And so yeah, so that's how I would look at that. How uh,
1: how can people follow you if they want to get more the, and learn about you and your and your companies and everything you're doing?
0: Yeah, so hit me up um on Instagram. That's just my last name, uh Sapong. So you spell S A R P O N G Sarpong. Sarpong. Um, FunFit is our brand, Confidence is our best makeup, so just go to funfit.com, double T. If you type in FunFit on YouTube, you'll see all our content as well. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's the most important. By the way, uh, for those of you who speak Spanish, Si hablas español, tengo un libro que se llama El Reto Mariposa. It's a book called The Butterfly Challenge. It's a book focused on the mind, the body, and food. And you get to do a test to figure out what belly type you have and what your belly says about your hormones and how you can sort of reset your body and, uh, you know, lift up your mind. And that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I need to reset this body, bro.
1: We need to get ourselves an ice bath too while we're at it. This guy's been at, he he needs it. He did two weeks with Wim Hof and he came back and now he's just like all about the ice baths. I hate it. I just want to stay warm. I like hot tubs. (laughs) All right. With that said, it's a wrap.